0: Well, good morning everyone. Um, you've got some notes in your bulletin. They're of no use to you. I'm calling it audible. Um, I'm going to ask a few questions and then I'll tell you where we're turning to in a minute here, okay? Oh yeah, children, you can follow Miss Cindy in the Children's Church if you'd like. I'm going to ask a few questions, I'm going to let you know where we're turning to, and then I'm going to pray as well, okay? Here are my questions for you, and this is meant to be a little bit interactive, a little bit unusual, so I'm going to ask for some responses here with these questions, okay? I'm going to ask my questions, and then after after I've asked all three of them, I'm going to ask you to respond. My first question is this, as Christians, I would like you to name some troubling things that we see in the world around us. As Christians, I would ask you the name some troubling things that we see in the world around us. My second question is this. How would you characterize those things that are troubling that we see? How would you characterize those things? And my third question is this. How do those things affect us? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, in our feelings. How do those things affect us? Okay, those are my three questions. What are some troubling things we see around us in our world today? Anyone? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat them as you say them. Some troubling things we see in our world around us. Do we see anything troubling in our world? Or is everything sunshine and lollipops? An attack on Christian values. Thank you. An attack on marriage. Thank you. An acceptance of sin. Thank you. Lawlessness, yeah. A lack of protection of the unborn, a troubling thing that we see, for sure. Rise of a global government, end time things, maybe, yep. yep, troubling. We don't know what to expect there. Thanks for that. Some others. Racism, yeah. Oh, yeah trying to divisions yep people trying to divide people based on race yep yep anything else pardon anxiety yeah that that, that would be thanks Dennis for that that would be how those things affect us right and so let's go let's go to that um, how would you characterize these things and how do they affect us suicide there's a rising suicide. Yeah. People among the youth. Yeah. Cadence. Selfishness. Yeah. Thank you. We definitely see that. Hopeless. Hopelessness. There's a sense of hopelessness. Now I'm going to ask you to get a little more personal. We're naming things, and we're talking about things that we see in our world today, things that are troubling to us, and how we view those things or the things we see, the way they affect other people, how do they affect you personally? That's more personal. Hmm? Depression. Depression. It's depressing, for sure. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. We worry about it. Yep. Fear. Yep. As you mentioned, anxiety, fear. We worry about it. A few others, maybe. Angry, I feel that, angry at times. Yeah. The old self, the old angry self, I can feel that railing up in me, and it's not good. Yeah. Yep, it it affects us spiritually that way. We, we, We can sense maybe a lack of faith that God's in control. Anything else? It affects what we can say, what we feel comfortable saying. Yeah, amen to that. We, we feel a little bit boxed in, hemmed in, right? Difficult. There's difficulty there. All these things, and there's probably more. Some unspoken things, some anxieties. All these things. What's that? Morals, yeah. Lax morals. Yep, yeah. Sometimes it keeps us from saying what we need to say. I'm repeating this because I know this is being recorded, and I'm repeating it so everyone, all of you, can hear it as well. Yeah, there's a sense in which we are boxed in, we don't say what we need to say. All these things. I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. If you haven't been there in a while, if you go to the end of your Old Testament and go backward 12 to 15 pages, you'll land within close proximity. So go to the last page of your Old Testament, and then just go back 10 or 15 pages, you'll end up in Habakkuk or thereabouts. There's a few other things on my asses of some individuals just a week ago. Some other things they mentioned is things are just bizarre, overwhelming there's a sense that things are just unstoppable. There's an unstoppable pace to all kinds of chaos. Have you made it to Habakkuk? I haven't made it there. I gotta get there. I would want you to know, and there's a message here. This isn't gonna be a total, this isn't gonna be a Sunday school lesson. There's a message coming here. I would want you to know that we are not alone and we are not the first people to feel like this. And there's a comfort in that. I was in my daily reading just a few weeks ago and I came across these verses and it blessed me so much. And I found out last week it blesses other people as well, so I wanted to share it this morning. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1, 1 through 4. And just... Listen to these words and follow along with me. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O oh Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not see. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention Boy, do those things sound so familiar, Hey. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. What a statement. It speaks right into the world we live in, in our nation, today. We are not the first people to experience this. These things that we feel and these things that we sense. There's a man all these years ago that was experiencing very similar things and he's asking God the question, why? And with that, I would just want to encourage us, it's okay to ask God, why? And it's okay to ask God, how long? But God is going to respond to Habakkuk and he's going to let him know that uh, the Babylonian Empire, ruled by the Chaldeans at this time, is going to come and they are going to take over the nation of Israel, the nation that is the, the, the divided kingdom. It's actually Judah. They're going to take over. They're going to conquer Judah, and that's not very comforting to Habakkuk either. He doesn't understand that. He's confused by that. God's answer isn't like, oh, that's so wonderful. It is, well, why this, Lord? Those things are difficult to hear. You know, we, we, we see in these missions moments, and we saw it this morning, the difficulty that people live with around the world, and we are isolated from that. Praise God that we are. We shouldn't um, long for those things or anything like that, but we are isolated from that. But it might not be the case always. We may find ourselves in very similar circumstances. Anyone in here could raise their hand and say that you control tomorrow? Not one of us. We, we don't hold tomorrow. We don't hold today, right? We don't hold today. We don't know what the future holds for us. But we know who it is that does, right? And we know who it is that we can trust. And so Habakkuk, when he gets his answer from the Lord, and uh, the rest of chapter 1 is really really God's answer uh, to Habakkuk there. He says uh, in verse 5, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe, even if you were told and what's going to come on them is going to be difficult. And Habakkuk responds back to God in verse 12 of chapter 1, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with your favor. So he's beginning to acknowledge that what God is doing, God is doing for the right reasons. And then he's going to wait for it to come. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here because we need to get to the, to the meat of this message. In, verse, in chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. So Habakkuk recognized that he's not perfect himself. He's acknowledging there might be sin in his life. God needs to reprove him. We, we don't see all our sin. We're not aware of it. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record said, "Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay and then verse 4, and that's the meat of our message today. Tonight in uh, evening service, we might study some more on Habakkuk, and not, we might do an audible there as well and jump out of Psalm 63. But in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, in verse 4, it says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not upright within him. That's speaking of uh, the, the leader of the Chaldeans at the time, and, and, and their pride. They, their pride was in their strength of their army, hey? Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And when you get to the end of this book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is going to be saying some things. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Yet I will exalt in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Unlike the Chaldeans, whose strength was their army. He says, The Lord God is my strength. But this statement... The righteous will live by his faith. That's the meat of our message today. Um, back in Michigan this last week, got to spend some time with our grandkids, and one of my grandkids wanted me to watch something with him, and it was these guys building these structures in uh, without any tools. I forget what the show is called, but they're from South America, I think, and they're building these structures with sticks and twine, and then they... And they're really shaky. They get like four stories tall, and these things are going like this. And it reminds me of standing on some scaffolding years ago, putting some chandeliers on top of this tall church. And I was like, wow, is that me? But as they put mud and stuff on these structures, they become firm and solid and something you could climb on and live in. And It's really remarkable. Our faith is like that, hey? It needs structure to it, something to stabilize us. And I'm trusting this morning that this message will help to do that very thing, to give us some stability in very troubling, troubling times with all these things that we're expressing, all these feelings and emotions and these spiritual struggles we're dealing with. They're real. They're real. Habakkuk was real with God. And this morning, as you guys are sharing what you're sharing, what are you doing? You're being real. You're saying this bothers me. It angers me. It frustrates me. It confuses me. I don't like this. It concerns me. And God is real with Habakkuk as well. It's good to be real with God. We're looking at a man here, Habakkuk, who was looking out at the world around him, the world he lived in, the nation he lived in that was far away from the Lord. And he wanted the Lord to come and deal with him. And so part of God's response to Habakkuk is that, the just shall live by faith. It's so simple a child can understand it. The just shall live by faith. It's six simple words. And it's so profound, I haven't plumbed the depth of it. I want you to know that. I've been looking at this for a few weeks. I haven't gotten to the to the full extent of, of the rich beauty of this statement. The just Shall live by faith. It's wonderful. It's wonderful words. This is a statement that is found in four places within the pages of your Bible, and we're going to turn to them. The first place is here in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, where it is God who is speaking, and He's contrasting the just with the unjust to encourage the just. That would be Habakkuk. With regard to what He needs to hear, and How he is to continue in a fallen world. How is it we are to live then is the question. If all of this, if this is what's before us, how is it we are to live? How do I go into my tomorrow, into my next week? If things were to worsen, what should I do? So God gives him this answer. The next place we see it is Romans one seventeen, where Paul is quoting it to speak of a righteousness that is from God. You don't need to turn there now, but we're going to be in a few minutes. And he speaks of the point of access to that righteousness, which is Jesus. And the, second, and the third place we see it is in Galatians 3.11, and Paul again is quoting these words, the just shall live by faith, to affirm the life that is in Christ, that the Galatians should continue to live in, So that they wouldn't be living by their own self-confidence, by following the law. It's so easy to do that when you're a Christian, to go back to following the law. But the just shall live by faith. In the fourth place we come across this statement is in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, where it's quoted again, and the emphasis in Hebrews chapter, well, in all of Hebrews, the emphasis in the book of Hebrews is, Faith in Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis there. And the writer is encouraging his reader to endurance in that faith. These are six words. I've turned it this way. These are six words from God's heart to our ears. They are. The just shall live by faith. Those are six words from God's heart to my ears, and I hope they are to yours as well. Spoken so long ago to Habakkuk's ears and to ours as well. They are words that drive at the very heart of the gospel. It's just one sentence, but it encompasses the whole of the Christian experience. It speaks to all it means to be in Christ. There are just six words, but apparently there are words worth repeating. Because God says it to Habakkuk here and they're repeated three times in the New Testament. And notice the close relationship between the words in this statement. The just shall live by faith. To get to that closeness of relationship to those words is something I hope just comes out of what I'm going to share with you this morning. This sentence has a who, it has a what, and it has a how. If you're studying for anything as far as teaching a a, a Sunday school preaching, you want to know who, what, what how, where, when, why, this, this statement has a who, a what, what did I just say, I forgot, <clears throat> a who, a what, and a how, the who is the just, the what is shall live, and the how is by faith, it has a who, a what, and a how, when your kids are really little, they might ask you, why mom, why, I can remember our kids doing that, why mom, why, why dad, why, 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 why? They get a little older, they might hear you having a conversation about something or someone, and they might start asking, Who? Who, Mom? Who? Who? This verse has a who, and the who is the just. And that brings us to our first two words. We're going to take it two words at a time. These are two words that speak to man's greatest need. The just. Who are they? The psalmist asked in Psalm 24, verse 3, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may ascend to your holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart is the answer. Who are the just? The opposite of the unjust, right? The answer to the psalmist's questions: who may ascend to your holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And we recognize, as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But here it says the just shall live by faith in Habakkuk. To be just is to be upright or righteous, not self-righteous, not righteous according to man. In other words, I can't declare you righteous. You can't declare me righteous. But to be just is to be righteous before God. That is a wonderful thought. To be just is to be righteous before God. Well, who who could that be? In Habakkuk, the contrast is obvious, and it turns on that one word in Habakkuk 2.4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. The proud, the awful, the lifted up like a tumor, the not upright one, but... The righteous, the just, shall live by faith. And the emphasis there is on how the just are to live in the midst of injustice. They shall live by faith. That's the emphasis. In Romans 1.17, you can turn there now. That's where we're going next. This is the second place where you come across this statement, the just shall live by faith. The context here... If in Habakkuk 2.4, the contrast is obvious, and it is, the context in Romans 1.17 is righteousness. In Romans one fifteen, well, let's go to Romans yeah, one fifteen. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man or but the just shall live by faith. Paul's eager to preach the gospel to them. He's not ashamed of the gospel, and he clearly says so. He says also that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not my intellect, not my emotions. Not the latest religious trend. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When I trusted the Lord as Savior, I finally realized what this pastor had been telling me for years. He kept If I had a religious question of any kind, he answered me with John 3.16. I couldn't figure out, what are you talking about? He was bringing me to the gospel. Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's God's method of saving sinners. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. Wonderful words. As it is written. That's what God says in his word is that there is a righteousness from God. There is a way to be just before God. Again, this is so simple, a seven-year-old can understand it, but it is so profound that we can't plumb the depths of it, that just shall live by faith. Everyone who believes, Jew, Gentile, everyone who believes, you know at the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages because men were so wicked and they were trying to build a tower to be up to God, right? On the day of Pentecost, what does God enable to happen? He enables people to speak in other languages, to speak the gospel. Because the just shall live by faith. So who are the just? I Start with that question. Those who are just are not only justified before God, but are justified by God. That's not a small thing. Romans 3.26 says as much that he made... That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, if you are in Christ today, not only are you just before God, he is the one who has justified you. I haven't justified you. You haven't justified me. God has justified you. He has justified me. He is the just one and the justifier of those who have come to faith in Christ. What a wonderful truth to grab hold of in the midst of an uncertain world. We are justified before God. All this confusion and and you can hear a slanderous accusations brought against people who are believers and all kinds of stuff, but we are justified before a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only is God the justifier. An exchange had to take place. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also has suffered for sins. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. We're going to celebrate around the communion table this morning. We're not just because of any righteousness of our own. We are just because someone who was just died for me who was unjust. Someone who is just, Jesus, died in my place the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. You're justified before God. He has justified you, and an exchange has taken place. You're not living, the just shall live by faith. You're not living by faith in yourself, faith in your faith, faith in your own justification, but faith in Christ's justness. Not in your own, I can't think of the right word, justness, right? We are justified in Him. And a change has come. An exchange had to take place and a change has come. Ephesians 2.3 And we were by nature children of wrath even as the others. A change has come. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. You are not who you used to be. Praise God. We are not who we used to be. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are just before God. He has justified us. The exchange has been made. The just for the unjust. And we're not who we used to be. A change has come. The just are just because of what Christ has done. And the just shall live. The just shall live. I'm going to have to speed this up. If that first two words, the just, speaks to man's greatest need, the just shall live probably speaks to our greatest desire, right? After all, what is all your striving about, right? We're all striving for life. What, is, what are people striving for, for, for life, for life? And we know that there's sad situations where people don't do that. But generally speaking, people are striving for life. Man's greatest desire is to live. To live an abundant life. That's the stuff that all the striving is after. Galatians 3.11, that's the next place we come across this, this statement. The just shall live by faith. Paul's burden for the Galatians is that Christ would be formed in them. He says this much in Galatians 4.19. So he writes authoritatively. He opens his letter saying that God rescued them. He writes to them authoritatively as an apostle. And he says in his letter as he opens it that God has rescued them from this present evil age. And he's surprised that they are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Because some people were confusing them or trying to throw them into confusion to pervert the gospel. Paul's concern in this quote in Galatians 3.11, the concern is the living out of the Christian life. And I think they needed to be reminded, I think what Paul is getting at, if we were to look at that, I could sum it up this way, that the gospel is not man's message about God, but it's God's message to man. Wanda just stepped out, they let me know in the mass, just in case you're wondering, they have somewhere to be. Um, the gospel is not man's message about God. it's God's message to man. I mentioned that a few weeks ago and that is the case. It's not what we figured out about God. The gospel is not that. It's God's message to us that He sent for our salvation, that he sent a savior. In Galatians 2:19, look what Paul says. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. This is about living the Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you see how closely related these six words are? That just shall live by faith. He goes on to say, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? And as you ponder that question, I'm not asking for a response. I'm asking that it it is a legitimate question to ask. What does that mean for Paul when he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me? What would that look like for you? Living for him is life. Amen, Maria. Amen. It's life. And what I have written here just, just talks about that. There was, was there ever a man who lived like Jesus? Before coming to faith in Jesus, I might ask for a show of hands, how many of you thought that you were really living life? Kind of maybe, right? After coming to faith in Christ, how many of you realize I didn't know what living was about until I came to faith in Christ? That's almost all of us. It's life. Have Christ live in us. It is life indeed. There was never a man who lived like Jesus. He owned nothing. He owned nothing. He didn't have a house. He didn't know where he'd lay his head at night. Well, He might have known, but it was going to be someplace different all the time. When, when he was crucified, all he had was the clothes on his body. That's the only thing they gambled after, was the clothes on his body. There wasn't no inheritance waiting as far as earthly inheritance. There was a wonderful inheritance waiting, but not the kind of inheritance we think of. Galatians uh, 3, 10 through 11. For as many are For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous, for the just, shall live by faith. We live by faith. The just shall live here, though. We shall live. We shall do it by faith, not by law, not according to the law. In Galatians uh, 3.21, Paul says, if a law had been given that could impart life, the implication there is the law cannot impart life. The just shall live by faith. The opposite of life is death, but the just shall live. What does it mean to really live? Some of them once said it might have been in a movie I watched. I don't know where it came from originally. All men die, but not all men truly live. Eh? All men die, but not all men truly live. Jesus said in John ten ten, "The thief comes only to kill, steal, and de- steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and abundantly fullness of life." I don't know where you're at this morning in your Christian walk, but I want to encourage you to continue on. That's what Paul's doing in Galatians. Continue living for Jesus. Yep, the world's in turmoil, and we have all these emotions and feelings and thoughts about that, but we need to continue living for Jesus. There's no life back there for us, apart from Christ. There's nothing back there for us. It's life here and now, and it's life eternal. It is spiritual life. Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. It's something to take hold of. The life we have as Christians, the eternal life, is something for us to take hold of. To take hold of, to grab hold of for all its worth. There are things that stunt that. eh? And I don't need to mention to you which ones they are in your life. You know that. There are things that stunt that. Paul tells Timothy, take hold of the life that is true life. Lay hold of it. Take hold of it. Have you ever made a decision for Christ or for serving the Lord or for moving forward with the Lord or for uh, spending time with the Lord or growing in the Lord and later thought, Man, that was a mistake. Have you ever done that? Not me, I, me. Actually, me. I tell you what, I've made other decisions and found out real quick, man, that was a mistake. And the longer you walk walk with the Lord, the quicker you come to the realization, I don't want to go that way, even in my attitudes, in my heart. in my I don't want to be that way. I want to be moving toward the Lord. The just shall live and to live is Christ to die is gain the last two words by faith the just shall live by faith if living may speak to man's greatest desire and the idea of being just speaks to our greatest need by faith that speaks to man's greatest responsibility hey Hebrews 10.38 is the last place we come across this statement, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38. And the call is to faith in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all throughout the book of Hebrews. If you're ever reading the book of Hebrews, if you haven't read it very much, or if you have read it and thought, what is that all about? I want to encourage you. If you get bogged down, bogged down, bogged down in the Book of Hebrews, fast forward to chapter eleven and then go back to where you got bogged down at. And then if you get bogged down again, fast forward to chapter eleven and go back to where you got bogged down at. And if you get bogged down again, fast forward to chapter eleven and twelve and go back to where you got bogged down at. It's all about faith in Christ, continuing in faith. The op- what's the opposite of faith? Unbelief, right? And unbelief isn't just sad, and it is sad. Unbelief is sin. Hebrews uh, 10, 36, I'll start there. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. These believers had need of endurance to continue on. For yet in a very little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. 1 John 5.10, John writes this, He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not has made him a liar because he has believed not the record that God gave of his Son. Unbelief is sin. John three eighteen says something very similar. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But if you have believed in him, you have eternal life, and you are to live by continue living by faith. The just shall live by faith. What is faith? Romans ten seventeen 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Someone has said it this way, Faith lays hold of what grace provides. Faith lays, lays hold of what God has done. I want to talk to you about a distortion of biblical faith or some distortions of biblical faith because someone might be in here this morning struggling through, in their own heart and mind, some distortions that have crept in of biblical faith. And a distortion of biblical faith is faith in the wrong object. We don't have faith in our faith. If your faith is in your faith, your faith is in the wrong object. Because some days your faith isn't very big, is it? It's big looking on to eternity, but in the moment, maybe, eh? Can God take care of this? Is God concerned for me about this? Or what about all these things we began with at the beginning, eh? What if Mr. X becomes, or Mrs. X, or Miss X becomes our next president? What if, what if, what if, what if the just shall live by faith? And it's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in our politics. It's not faith in anyone other than Jesus Christ. We shall live by that faith. A distortion of biblical faith is faith in the wrong object. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in an abstract religiosity. I'm just going to be real with you here. Habakkuk was real with God. I'm going to be real with you. I was raised Catholic. I'm being real with you about that in this way. As a Catholic young person, my faith, if you could call it that, was in an abstract religiosity. I didn't know what it all meant. It was just a bunch of fuzzy fluff nutter And there was some kind of like, woo about it all. That's what my faith was in. Praise God, he saved me by his grace, right? Praise God, I came to faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He saved me. I'm not beating up on, on my Catholic upbringing. I'm thankful that I was in a place where God's word was at least spoken and I had a moral upbringing. I'm not knocking that, but I'm just saying my faith was not in reality. It was in an abstract. And, and, and faith that is no good, if your faith is in some abstract, stop right there. Your faith needs to be in Jesus, in Jesus. It's in him we live and move and have our being. Biblical faith, true faith, is faith in God. It is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Someone has said it this way. I'm not sure exactly who. Weak faith in the right object is better than strong faith in anything else. Weak faith in the right object is better than strong faith in anything else. So, in all of your thoughts and all of your feelings and all of your emotions about what we see out in our world today. We need to get to that place where Habakkuk was. He took the faith he had and he put it in the right object. He put it in God. We need to do the same thing. Romans 5, 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That one verse sums up everything I'm saying. The just shall live by faith. Faith into this grace in which we now stand. God purifies our hearts by faith. We have victory over the world through faith. It says in 1 John five four. The just shall live by faith. What is the point of this message? The point is (laughs) simply a couple of things. We're not alone. We're not the first people to experience the things we're experiencing and to feel the things we're feeling and to be challenged spiritually by the things that are coming our way. Habakkuk was long ago. And he took his concerns to the right place and we can too. We can too. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We need to go to Lord Prayer with regard to these things. We need to be going to the Lord. Lord, I'm angry about this. I'm concerned about this. I'm frustrated about this. I'm... You name it. Go to him with it. Lord, Lord, I don't want to have simple thoughts about this. I don't want to just be real with him about these things. We can do that, can't we? We can do that. And I've sensed that maybe we haven't been doing that. And I say we, corporately, Christianity in America hasn't been doing that. We've been putting our faith in other things, okay? In the wrong object. In objects that are too weak a vessel. Christ is not too weak a vessel. We can put our faith in him. We need to go to him with these things. And we can talk to one another about these things. We can open up and say, I'm praying about these things. Let's pray together about these things. We can do that. We've got communion. I know this message was a little bit longer, and it's not what was in your bulletin today. We'll get to that message next week, Lord willing. But I pray this was a blessing to you. When I come across the back of what he was saying, it sure was a blessing to me. I'd encourage you to maybe come tonight as we look at Habakkuk a little bit further. And if you're not able to, just to read it for yourself and see where he gets to. Let's close in a word of prayer. And Patrick and Soren, would you come and help distribute? Uh, actually, Patrick, would you be okay leading in communion? I'll help distribute this morning. I'm calling another audible. <laughs> I meant to ask you. Earlier. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. That the just shall live by faith. That we are not justified in and of ourselves, Father. Thank you that we are just because of what Christ has done for us. You are just and the justifier of all those who come to faith in him. What a wonderful truth that we are justified in your sight. And so what can man do to us? And because we are justified, we shall live. We can live truly and abundantly here in this life. And there's eternal life waiting for us, a home in heaven. And all of that is through faith, and we are to live by faith. We don't have the answers for even this afternoon. We don't have the answers for tomorrow, but we know who does. Thank you that you are a God that we can put our faith and trust in. We don't have to put our faith in ourselves. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.